Hello and welcome to Dedicated Packers, the podcast where we do cover the Green Bay Packers and we don't cover anything else. Let's go. All right, hello and welcome back to Dedicated Packers. It is Sunday and the Kansas City Chiefs just beat the San Francisco 49ers in Super Bowl 58. We're going to talk a lot about awards today. We're going to talk about NFL awards, which came out on on Thursday. We're going to talk about my Packers awards for the season. That's going to take up most of the episode because this is a Packers podcast. But before we jump into all of that, Let's recap the Super Bowl because this is at the end of the day. Yes, it's a Packers podcast, but it is a it is a podcast based on the sport of football. And no no podcast can go an entire episode without mentioning the biggest game of the year, Super Bowl 58. Kansas City Chiefs, they took a game from the San Francisco 49ers that they did not deserve to win. The Niners dominated a lot of that game and certainly the first half, but Ultimately, they couldn't come away with a victory. I think Jacob Morley said it best. Obviously, Jacob Morley on Twitter, big Packers fan, works for Packer Report, does awesome stuff there. One of my favorite people covering the Green Bay Packers. So love Jacob Morley. But he also lives in Kansas City. And he is a Chiefs fan, just like I am. Sort of roots for the Chiefs on the side. Because we like the Chiefs. I like Mahomes. I like Kelsey. They're a winning team. And I, I really like everything that they do. And Jacob Morley said it midway through the second quarter. The Niners were up three points. They were up three nothing midway through the second quarter, but they were only up three. They had dominated drive after drive after drive, and they only had three points to show for it. And Morley said it best. Mahomes is inevitable. And San Francisco did all they could to contain Mahomes really throughout the game. They held him to three in the first half, held him to six through much of the third quarter, but Mahomes is inevitable. 15 is inevitable, and he came out and basically took the game away from San Francisco, scored a massive touchdown at the end of the game, obviously. He also had multiple field goal drives where San Francisco was up a field goal. Mahomes went right down, drove them into field goal range, tied up the game, did it at the very end of the game. He was awesome, and he was clutch, and he was inevitable because Kansas City only had six points with three minutes left in the third quarter. Mahomes goes right down, scores a touchdown. Fourth quarter, Kansas or San Francisco scores a touchdown. They respond, they go up 16 to 13. Mahomes says, okay, goes down, field goal drive. San Francisco responds, puts up another field goal, goes up 19 to 16. Mahomes, two minutes left on the clock, goes down, field goal, 19 19 to 19, and then you get into overtime. The Niners kick a field goal after stalling in the red zone, and Mahomes goes down and finishes the game off with a touchdown. He is inevitable. He was inevitable, and ultimately, the team with the superstar quarterback had a further margin for error, and that is why they won this game. Because this game had so many mistakes on both sides. I think both teams muffed the punt. Both teams fumbled the ball. Both running backs fumbled the ball. Christian McCaffrey, first drive of the game, fumble. Isaiah Pacheco, Isaiah Pacheco I want to say it was the Chiefs' second drive of the game, fumble. 
everybody had mistakes. Every single team, whoever lost this game, could go into their post-game press conference, and the coach surely would would be talking about mistakes that they made and chances they had to win to win this game. But the Chiefs, because they had Patrick Mahomes, were able to make those mistakes and come out on top. And that both teams messed up, but Chiefs, the Chiefs had Mahomes, and I fully believe that Patrick Mahomes is the thing that turned this from a 49ers blowout into a Chiefs victory. The one other thing I, I will say, I think this game was won by the Chiefs on third down. The Chiefs were phenomenal on third down on offense. Some really massive plays. Mahomes ran for some massive plays on that last drive to seal the game. He had the fourth down scramble. I think he had another scramble on third down. Uh, he had the massive third down conversion to Rasheed Rice over the middle. He was automatic on third down. Brock Purdy, on the other hand, not all Brock Purdy, the Niners, they struggled on third down. A lot of big key third downs. Steve Spaggs called a blitz. Pressure, free pressure. Brock Purdy couldn't get the ball off or did get it off and it was incomplete. At the very end of the of regulation, the Niners, if they picked up a first down, it was third and four or so. If they picked up a first down there, that game is likely over. Spaggs dials up a perfect pressure, blitz into, I want to say the B gap against Brock Purdy. Ball gets, I think, batted, incomplete. Niners have to kick a field goal. Chiefs go down and tie it up. And then on the Niners drive in overtime, they're in the red zone. Third and four, pressure breaks down. Brock has to float one incomplete. They kick the field goal. Chiefs go down, score a touchdown to win that game. Mahomes is the best quarterback ever. Mahomes is the best quarterback ever. I think I've been saying this, but he is the best quarterback ever. He was the difference in this football game. And Mahomes is inevitable. And mistakes cost the San Francisco 49ers ultimately more than they cost the Kansas City Chiefs. And that's because the Kansas City Chiefs had the better quarterback. All right. That's that's what I want to say on the Super Bowl. Congrats to the Chiefs. Happy that it, happy the Chiefs won. I'm, I love the Chiefs. I love everything that they do. And I don't like the Niners. So, you know, the Niners, after, after the Green Bay Packers lost to the 49ers, the 49ers, or it was it was NBC in San Francisco, put out a tweet that said new quarterback, same result, and had Aaron Rodgers, uh, like an, a, a cartoon picture of Aaron Rodgers and Jordan Love pointing at each other, being like, huh, you, you guys both lose to the Niners. All right, well, San Francisco, new quarterback, same freaking result. 2019, Jimmy G, Super Bowl against the Kansas City Chiefs, they lose that game. New quarterback, Brock Purdy, 2023, things are going to be different. You go into the game against the Kansas City Chiefs, Super Bowl, and you lose. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's a joke that had to be made. All right. Uh, my last notes on the Super Bowl, the halftime show. I did not like the halftime show being a being a part of Gen, Gen Z, not a millennial. There was no nostalgia associated with that halftime show for me. So I wasn't a big fan. But, you know, I don't think I was going in expecting to be a big fan. I did. I did see that a lot of people liked it, though. So to each their own. Obviously, I'm, I'm maybe a little bit too young to get the Usher hype, but that was, those are my, my thoughts on the, on the halftime show. All right, let's move on to NFL awards. Those came out on Thursday at the NFL Honors. I made predictions in the preseason or right before the season about who would win each award. So let's go through how I did. Spoiler alert, not very well. So my comeback player of the year prediction was Calvin Ridley and who actually won comeback player of the year. Joe Flacco. I wanted to be unique with a Calvin Ridley pick. I think DeMar Hamlin was the pretty obvious choice for comeback player of the year. 
So, first of all, I was wrong. It wasn't DeMar Hamlin or Calvin Ridley. It was Joe Flacco. So, there's no way in which I would have ever been right. Ridley was was not that impressive. It took time for him to develop chemistry with, with Trevor Lawrence. Stuff was off all year for the Jacksonville Jaguars. Flacco, meanwhile, had an incredible run when he took over as Cleveland's starter. Looked really, really poised and... It just looked like Flacco was in a at a point in his career where he said, I don't care, I'm going to huck this ball. And he hucked it and had some pretty impressive results and pretty impressive throws in there. The fact that he won over DeMar Hamlin, I I kind of disagree with that. Here's here's my thing. I You can make an argument for Joe Flacco being number one. The, the, you can make an argument for Joe Flacco winning the comeback player of the year over DeMar Hamlin. Joe Flacco had an awesome year. Great. But DeMar Hamlin being left off of ballots altogether doesn't sit right with me. Doesn't feel like there were really any other major players that came back from something. Certainly nothing near as great as DeMar Hamlin did. And I know he didn't have a big impact on the field, but to come back from what he had to come back from, it just feels wrong to keep him off the off the ballot entirely, which a lot of people did, because ultimately he had more first place votes than Joe Flacco. But with the way the voting system works, they they add up, you know, you can vote first place, second place, third place, and then they count each individual vote, weighting them differently based on what vote you got first place, second place, third place, and Flacco's total was higher. So Flacco won it. Either way, I was wrong with Calvin Ridley. All right, defensive rookie of the year. My prediction was Jalen Carter and who actually won it, Will Anderson. Another failed pick, though. I don't think this is that egregious. Jalen Carter was really, really good. Will Anderson was just better, had an awesome year in Houston. He's going to be awesome for years to come. Awesome year. Great job, Will Anderson. I think everyone saw what a great player he was coming out of the draft, and he proved them all right. All right, next, offensive rookie of the year. My prediction was B. John Robinson. C.J. Stroud actually won it. Bijan just never got the ball as a running back. He was really good whenever he touched the ball, and I partially blame Arthur Smith for not running it with Bijan Robinson enough. Actually, screw that. I totally blame Arthur, Arthur Smith for not running the ball with Bijan enough. But also, CJ Stroud was just freaking phenomenal. I don't think there Bijan could have had any performance that would have had him winning the rookie of the year over CJ Stroud. I mean, CJ Stroud had literally one of the best rookie seasons ever, specifically for a quarterback. I would argue he's already maybe not quite top five, but a top seven quarterback. CJ Stroud is really freaking good. 100% deserves this award. Awesome year from CJ. All right, next. Defensive player of the year. My pre- Or not, yes, defensive player of the year. Sorry. My prediction, Jair Alexander, who actually won it, Miles Garrett. Never even close with this prediction. I, I just wanted to go with something fun here. Felt like Jair would have a nice year. He was injured for a lot of the year, and then he didn't really look like the same Jair at all until what, week 18 against Chicago? He had a couple nice games in there, looked really nice in week nine, I want to say, against LA, but then he was injured, and then even when he was back in, he didn't really look like his old self, and so, again, week 18 versus Chicago was when he really started looking like old Jair again. Obviously, nowhere close to winning Defensive Player of the Year. Miles Garrett had an awesome year. There's some debate about whether or not he should have won it. You know, should it have been TJ Watt? Should it have been Micah Parsons? Ultimately, Miles Garrett did win it. He deserves it. Had an incredible year, and he he's really deserved Defensive Player of the Year for some time. He's had awesome seasons for a long time. Great to see him win it. Offensive Player of the Year. My prediction was Devontae Adams, who actually won it. 
Christian McCaffrey, again, not even close. Devontae was good, yet again, but he never had the offensive support around him to win this award, and I should have known that. It was a, it was another pick where I just wanted to have some fun, go in, talk about Devontae and how much I love him, and it didn't, I just, I wanted to manifest Devontae winning this award. He didn't win it. I mean, he, he had, what, Aiden O'Connell at quarterback? He was never going to win this award. CMC also was just remarkable. He's the best running back in the NFL has an incredible mix of balance, power, speed. You add that to the Kyle Shanahan offense, and man, you get the performance that he put together this season, an awesome year from CNC. And then MVP, my prediction was Josh Allen, my actual, or who actually won it, Lamar Jackson. This one was pretty close for me. I think Allen was definitely a top MVP candidate, and ultimately Lamar just just had the had the results there. He he led the Ravens to the best record in the NFL, the number one seed in the AFC. They were the better team just through the duration of the season. Allen had a couple ups and downs early on. I think some of the interceptions early in the season may have swayed voters a little bit. I think he was very excellent down the stretch, Allen was, but ultimately it wasn't enough for to to take out Lamar. I think this one was was pretty close. A, a nice prediction. I am happy with that prediction. Well, the Devontae Adams, Jair Alexander predictions, those two get pretty ugly. And then my dark horse MVP prediction, Trevor Lawrence. Uh, I mean, this not even close. It, it was a dark horse prediction for a reason, right? But not close to getting this one right. Trevor Lawrence regressed. This season did not look as good. So ultimately, not here. It was a pretty gross showing for me overall in the awards. I went 0 for 7 this year after going 2 for 7 last year. I was quite impressed with my 2 for 7 performance last year, including predicting Patrick Mahomes to win MVP. I went 0 for 7 this year. So, oh well, I'll do it again next year, and I and I hope to improve. Let's move on to what I really want to talk about in this episode, which is Packers awards for the season. You know, who do I think on the Green Bay Packers deserves each award? And we're going to start with my comeback player of the year. Who on the Green Bay Packers had the biggest comeback? Who improved the most or overcame the most on the Packers from 2022 to 2023? And my comeback player of the year for the Green Bay Packers is Zach Tom. And Zach Tom was not bad in 2022. In fact, I gave that pick in, or not the pick, I gave Zach Tom's 2022 rookie season an A grade, but holy cow, Zach Tom leveled up maybe three levels in 2023, turned into one of the best right tackles in football. And there were a lot of other candidates here. Rashid Walker was another guy I really wanted to give the Comeback Player of the Year award to. I consider Jordan Love, of course, but ultimately Zach Tom was too freaking good for me to pass up the opportunity to talk about him. He was so good. He played 97% of Green Bay snaps, played them all at right tackle in the, or actually no, he played a couple at center, but mostly right tackle committed just two penalties through the entire season, had, I think, zero holding penalties, just one false start penalty. He also only allowed, well, I'm not going to say only, there are definitely tackles who have allowed fewer. He allowed 33 pressures on the season. That's an average, though, of under two per game. He gave up only two sacks the entire season, and a lot of those pressures came in weeks where he was injured, week four against Detroit, week five against Las Vegas, and they came against premier pass rushers, which we will talk about. By the way, while we're talking about impressive stats from Zach Tom's season, he was incredible down the stretch in his last seven games. He allowed just 10 pressures, allowed zero sacks, 
And then as Green Bay is going into the playoffs against Dallas, their biggest game of the year up to that point, Zach Tom has to go in against Micah Parsons, one of the best pass rushers in football. And guess what? He allows one pressure in 19 matchups against Micah Parsons. That comes to a pressure rate of 5.3% for Micah Parsons. That is the lowest in any game that Micah Parsons has played in his career, in his, you know, three years of his career, but an incredible three years that those have been for Micah. It was awesome. It was a great statistical season for Zach Tom. But the biggest thing, the thing that I love the most about Zach Tom is how reliable he is in massive games and how reliable he was in massive games this past season because Green Bay faced some top-tier pass rushers. I talked about a couple of them. Max Crosby, he faced him. Aiden Hutchinson, faced him twice. TJ Watt, faced him. Joey Bosa, faced him. Brian Burns, Daniil Hunter, Montez Sweat, Micah Parsons, and Nick Bosa. And in each of those matchups, sure, he lost sometimes. There were there were plays where he would lose to Max Crosby or he would lose to Aiden Hutchinson. But the biggest thing that he did was go one-on-one with those guys and let the Packers run their offense the way they wanted to. Because on Thanksgiving, I think this was maybe the best example of this, on Thanksgiving, he battled with Aiden Hutchinson every freaking snap that Aiden Hutchinson was lined up on his side, of course. And he lost sometimes. But because Green Bay trusted Zach Tom to go one-on-one, they they say leave him on an island, right? They left Zach Tom on an island against Aiden Hutchinson. And sometimes Zach Tom got beat. Occasionally, he got he uh, he probably surrendered three or four pressures that game. So he got three or he got beat three or four times that game. But by putting Zach Tom on an island, you're leaving your four other linemen to battle with the other usually three Detroit rushers, which obviously means you have one extra guy in there that you can use to double team. So maybe you give Rasheed Walker a little bit of extra help on a double team, or maybe it's John Runyon Jr. and Josh Myers double teaming a guy. But because you have that extra body in there, and you have that extra body because Zach Tom is able to go one-on-one on an island with the opposing team's best rusher, then even when the offensive line gets beat, they're usually getting beat through Zach Tom. Because Zach Tom is able to let them secure that interior and secure that other side by having that extra body. And so you're saying, sure, Zach Tom's going to get beat three to four times. But first of all, it's only going to be three to four times. So you're minimizing the effect of the opposing team's top tier pass rusher to a, to a large extent. And then you're also saying, we're usually only going to get beat through Zach Tom because you're leaving those other bodies on the inside to help on the other three guys. Now, of course, sometimes teams send blitzes. It's never that simple. But Zach Tom's ability to just go in and handle the opposing team's best pass rusher and say, go against me. I don't care. I am going to pretty much shut you down and minimize the effect you have on the game. I am never going to let you wreck the game. It was it was so massive for Green Bay's success. And I'm not sure there's anything to say other than other than wow. All right, moving on. Next guy I want to talk about, defensive rookie of the year for the Green Bay Packers, Carl Brooks. Let's talk about Carl Brooks because the Packers didn't have a lot of standout defensive players this year. But or defensive rookies, that is. Actually, they didn't have a lot of standout defensive players in general, but the biggest 
defensive standout rookie was Carl Brooks. I was between him and Carrington Valentine here. Ultimately, I decided to go with Carl Brooks because of what he flashed. Now, he was not great in the run game. Going to get that out of the out of the way right away. He needs to get better in the run game. He is not good enough on the interior in against the run right now. That's fine. But what he showed as a pass rusher was truly, truly remarkable. He had four sacks on the season, had four passes defended. His ability to get up and swap passes away, really impressed with that. He had one forced fumble. He had six tackles for loss. He had five quarterback hits. He was really freaking good. And he was really freaking good in some big games against Chicago. Week 18, game on the line. I think it was Carl Brooks that had the sack to, to knock the Bears out of field goal range on third down. They had to punt. Maybe it was second down. I think it was actually second down. But he had a second down sack, knocked the Bears out of field goal range. They ended up having to punt. Green Bay gets the ball back, goes down. Boom. Ice is the game. Game over. He is he is so freaking fracking good. He's so good. And it's not super consistent, but when he when he's on, he's a different animal. His hands so fast. He's got lightning quick hands. I asked, you know, are they going to translate from Bowling Green to the NFL? My God, did they translate? He had some, he, the reps that he puts on tape when he is on are just top tier reps. He looks really freaking good at different times. And I am so unbelievably excited for what he can develop into. Again, it wasn't the the biggest rookie year ever. He's in it. First of all, he's an interior defensive lineman. Second of all, he was a sixth round pick. But the flashes he showed were remarkable. Four sacks, a forced fumble, four passes defended. He had some really, really fun things, and I'm excited for what we're going to see from him next year. Next guy, Offensive Rookie of the Year. That award, I'm giving it to Tucker Craft. And I think there are three guys that you could give Offensive Rookie of the Year to. Jaden Reed, Dontavian Wicks, and Tucker Craft. Any of those three guys... Give him the award. I don't care. But I talked a lot about Dontavian Wicks and Jaden Reed in, in my rookie report card episode. I think that was on Wednesday. Go check that out. Really like what the work I did there. Not to toot my own horn, but I think it was pretty good. But I want to give Tucker Craft more shine because I didn't talk about him as much. And I want to emphasize how important he was to this team's success. Because after the Luke Musgrave injury, so Luke Musgrave got injured in week 11. He ended up playing the rest of that game with a lacerated kidney, which is still incredible to me. But for the rest of the regular season, after week 11, Tucker Craft had to be the starting tight end. So seven weeks, Tucker Craft had to be the starting tight end for the Green Bay Packers. Technically, Musgrave came back in week 18, but he barely played. So it was mainly Tucker Craft. Tucker Craft had 416 snaps over those seven weeks. The Green Bay Packers ran a total of 448 offensive snaps. So Tucker Craft played on 93% of their offensive snaps over the last seven weeks of the season. The other two tight ends on the roster that were playing, Josiah DeGuara, he played 51 snaps over five weeks. He was inactive for, for two weeks out of the seven. So he played 51 snaps over five weeks. That means he played in the weeks that he was active around 15.5% of the snaps. For the Packers, Ben Sims, he was active all week, seven weeks. He had 127 total snaps. So he played around 28% of the snaps over those seven weeks. Kraft had over three times more, more snaps than Ben Sims and well over five times as many snaps as Josiah DeGuara when Josiah DeGuara played. He was the starting tight end by an absolute country mile. What did that mean? It meant that if Tucker Kraft had sucked, 
everything would have gone down with Tucker Craft, the run game and the pass game. But somehow, they didn't go downhill. They went up. They improved massively, both the run game and the pass game. How? Great question. Tucker Craft. Tucker Craft is really freaking good. As a blocker, he became a mainstay for Green Bay and truly a massive part of every single thing that they were doing. I, I, I am so unbelievably impressed by how much he improved as a blocker because with how rarely they would run sets without tight ends, they, would, they were running. I mean, you saw it. He was playing 93% of snaps. So that means at minimum, they were running plays with a tight end in there on 93% of the time. Usually they were running, or sometimes they were running plays where Duckercraft isn't wasn't in there, but there was a different tight end in there. So they were running snaps with tight ends a lot of the time. That meant, and we saw it, Tucker Craft had to be in there a lot. He was in there on 93% of snaps. And that meant that every time they ran the ball, it would come down to him blocking. I mean, not the entire play would come down to him blocking, but if he screwed up, the run, the entire run play was in, in jeopardy of, of failing. And he did an awesome job of not failing. I think the thing he improved the most at was his backside blocks, where I talked about it. Packers would run some, some split flow action, where they'd line up Tucker Craft on the left side, and they'd run a play to the left side. So let's say they run an outside handoff to the left side, which is the side that Tucker Craft is on. But what they do is they go that way, they send the handoff that way, and they bring Tucker Craft the other way, the opposite way towards the right side, where he is responsible for cutting off the backside edge rusher, who, if Tucker Craft doesn't cut him off, and we saw this happen all the time early in the season when Tucker Craft was asked to block, say, Max Crosby. If Tucker Craft whiffs, Max Crosby, the backside edge, goes down, hunts down Aaron Jones, tackles him, gain of what? One, two, maybe zero? But Tucker Craft improved a lot, and by the end of the season, he was consistently Sealing off the backside edge, opening up gaping holes for Aaron Jones. That was massive for the running game that coincidentally started getting going later in the season as Kraft really grew into the, the major player that he was by the end of the year. And it wasn't just those backside blocks. He was doing everything in the run game on tosses. He would get out on the edge and he would block people and open up holes for Aaron Jones. He improved so much as a blocker and it was a massive part of Green Bay's run game improving. As a pass catcher, he was really impressive too, sneakily impressive. I don't think anybody's going to confuse Tucker Craft for, for Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey, now three-time Super Bowl champion. But Tucker Craft, with, with the ball in his hands, is a different animal. That dude does not want to get tackled, and my favorite play of the entire season from Tucker Craft might be him against Minnesota getting a ball swung out to him in the flat. Two-yard catch or so. He turns upfield, puts his arm into the opposing defender's chin, and shoves that dude into the ground probably 10 feet below the surface of U.S. Bank Stadium in Minnesota. He has the ability, and he did this all the time, to take that four-yard catch and turn it into eight. And those extra four yards can oftentimes be the difference between a first down and a third down. He is the ultimate safety blanket in Carolina. End of the game, Packers trying to get a field goal to go ahead. Jordan Love drops back, I think it was third down, sneaks a tight window throw into Tucker Craft, who just 
gets somehow right through two defenders, gets upfield first down Packers. He is, again, the ultimate safety blanket. And when you combine that with his blocking, he truly was a massive part of Green Bay's success at the end of the season. He's, he was a major player for them, whether it was opening up, uh, opening up holes for Aaron Jones, Week 18 versus Chicago, catching those massive third down passes from Jordan, one that he he set up, one that set up their touchdown drive to go up by three scores against against Dallas, where Jordan Love bootlegs to the left. Dontavian Wicks, who I think was the first read on that route, isn't open. Stumbles getting out. Tucker Craft on there or in the route progression, gets some separation. I said no one's going to confuse him with Kelsey. Nobody is. Gets enough separation. Jordan puts a good ball on him. Craft Excellent catch, first down, Packers end up going up three scores on that drive. He was a he was a major piece for Green Bay, and I wasn't too high on him coming out. I'm not going to make excuses, but the reality is I didn't, or I still don't, totally value run after the catch ability in a tight end. I don't think that's anywhere near the most valuable thing they can have, and I thought he had, he had a lot of work to do as a blocker. But he did that work as a blocker. He showed that he is a different animal in terms of running after the catch, and now he is one of my favorite players on that offense, I I will never, ever underestimate the ability of a South Dakota kid again. Get them the football, they are different, and Tucker Craft, I think it was Dari Carragher who tweeted it, get yourself a batshit insane kid at tight end, the Packers got him, it's Tucker Craft, and I love that kid. All right, next award, Defensive Player of the Year, I'm giving it to Preston Smith, and the Packers defenders having elite def- performances this season, those those performances were few and far between. Let's just say that. So, as I looked for who to give this award to, there were really three guys that I thought I could give it to. Rashawn Gary, Kenny Clark, and Preston Smith. Rashawn Gary dried up a little bit down the stretch. Now, he was more productive than his sack numbers would indicate, but he he dried up in general down the stretch. I do think that ACL injury kind of took its toll. He came back so fast. He looked so good out of the gate, but I think he wore down as he had to play 50, 60 snaps a game. But then this award came down to Kenny Clark and Preston Smith for me, who had remarkably similar numbers this season. But I wanted to give Preston Smith some love because there's a joke about Preston Smith being his best in, in odd seasons. Well, 2023 Preston Smith was phenomenal. He had nine sacks, two forced fumbles, a total he beat only one time in his career, which was also coincidentally in an odd seasons. He had four passes defended, and he had 43 total tackles. He, those are good stats. Those are very good stats. A nice statistical season for Preston Smith. But the biggest thing about Preston was how much he showed up in the biggest games for Green Bay, specifically down the stretch. Week 16, Carolina. Packers just had lost their second straight game to Tampa Bay. They need a win. Realistically, they need to win three straight to get into the playoffs. That has to start against Carolina. Preston goes in, gets one and a half sacks, four quarterback hits, three total tackles, including a tackle for loss. And the Packers end up narrowly, but they do end up winning that football game. Next week, Minnesota. Packers need another win. Need to need to keep the train, the momentum going. They want to get another win to get into the playoffs. Preston goes in, gets a sack, three quarterback hits, and a forced fumble that leads to a massive Jaden Reed touchdown right before half that really 
starts to let Green Bay run away in that game. The Packers, they went on to blow out Minnesota on the back of Preston Smith. They would move on to beat Chicago and make the playoffs. And then in the playoffs, wildcard game versus Dallas, Preston Smith had a had a sack as the Packers kicked Dallas's ass. He showed up massively in the biggest games and was awesome for Green Bay when they needed him the most. Now, was he an all-pro? No. But but really, no Green Bay defender was an All-Pro this year. If any Green Bay defender were an All-Pro this year, I would have given them the award. But Preston Smith was big when it mattered. And even without, even if Enoch Bari hadn't gotten injured in that Dallas game, I think Preston Smith would have been back. I think with the contract and with how he played this year, he would have been back. But now, with Enoch Bari being injured, Preston Smith is definitely going to be back. He is a leader on that team, and he is a leader on the field. And he's a pretty freaking phenomenal player on the field. Now, the hope is we're going into an even season, 2024. We're going to need Preston to knock some of that even season rust off and go out there and ball out. All right, next award. Offensive Player of the Year. This one I'm giving to Aaron Jones. Mike Wall said it best. Aaron Jones is the lighter fluid for this offense. He, with everything that he does, is the, is the best player on this offense. I think Jordan Love's close. But Aaron Jones is the best player. And for now, for now, let's just talk about how good he is on the field. He is a ridiculously good running back. Five foot nine, 210 pounds, but those five five foot five feet and nine inches and 210 pounds are pure muscle. And he uses that muscle to run through more people than you'd expect, bigger people than you'd expect. He can put his head down and run through them but he still has the best agility in the game. And that is the biggest thing. That agility, that play speed that he has, totally next level. When when he gets the ball, I think of Ant-Man. You know, in the Ant-Man movies, I think when Ant-Man goes into his tiny person form, he, he kind of shoots around. You, you see like a little trail behind him. Maybe it's like the Flash. Maybe the Flash would be a, a better analogy. I'm not great with my superhero analogies, obviously. But it just looks like Ant-Man to me, where he's shooting through gaps. On pitches around the edge, I think that is where you see it best. Where usually, or you can see it especially well when Emmanuel Wilson gets a gets a pitch around the edge, you see the hole open up. You see, oh, hey, there's really a window there with Rasheed Walker on the edge and Tucker Craft on the edge. They've created this hole. But when Emmanuel Wilson has the ball, you see that hole develop. And then you have to wait two seconds before Emmanuel Wilson gets into that hole. Maybe sometimes the hole's still there. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's closed up. And maybe it's an eight-yard gain. Maybe it's a 15-yard game. Or maybe it's a, it's a three-yard game. With Aaron Jones, he is in that hole before I see it. I blink. And all of a sudden, he's eight yards downfield already through the hole. It is, it is truly remarkable. It looks, it looks nonchalant. But when, when you look at the, the difference between him and Emmanuel Wilson, it's night and day. He is so clearly, as a pure runner, a top 10 running back, he makes those pitches, those plays on the edge work. He deserves to be back. He will be back. And I love it. But I didn't even mention something else that I think is really underrated with Aaron Jones. And that is his, that is his pass protection. Because Jordan Love talked with Micah Parsons in an interview about Aaron Jones's pass protection in Dallas. And that entire interview, by the way, is totally awesome. I loved, loved that interview. Micah Parsons and Jordan Love, just talking ball. Awesome interview. You know, Jordan's out there drawing up plays and getting play calls and trying to get Micah Parsons to, to remember the play call. 
it's an awesome interview, a lot of fun, pretty funny, because Micah Parsons basically, basically asked Jordan, hey, how'd you beat us? And Jordan's like, well, here's the thing. We knew you couldn't stop the run, so we just beat you up there. And Micah Parsons like, yeah, fair. But in that, in that, in that interview, Jordan Love talks about Aaron Jones. And there's a lot of clips, if you go back and you watch that game, of Aaron Jones stoning Micah Parsons in pass protection. Where Micah Parsons, he's taking on Zach Tom. And I, I just talked earlier in this episode about how Zach Tom gave up one pressure on 19 rushes to Micah Parsons. Some of that was due to Aaron Jones. Because there were times where Micah Parsons had Zach Tom beat a little bit. And Aaron Jones came in full speed and just stoned Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons, let me pull this up really quick. Micah Parsons' height in feet. Micah Parsons is six foot three. Aaron Jones is five foot nine. Micah Parsons has half a foot on Aaron Jones. Micah Parsons' weight, if I pull this up quickly, Micah Parsons' weight is 245 pounds. Micah Parsons has 35 pounds and half a foot on Aaron Jones. And Aaron Jones went in there and would just absolutely stone Micah Parsons. And Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons asked Jordan Love, you know, why, like, was, was Aaron Jones supposed to do that? And Jordan Love said no. That was just Aaron Jones in the zone that he was in, having such an awesome feel for the game, knowing that this is where I have to be. He went in, stoned Micah Parsons, let Jordan Love get enough time to get the throw off, and the Packers went on to, to blow the Cowboys out. He is a remarkable runner. He clearly is a remarkable pass protector and certainly wasn't that game. I think that his pass protection in that game is one of the most underrated things. And that doesn't even begin to take into account what he brings as a leader. He is the leader on this football, football team going into a big game. He's the one giving the speeches. When Wicks fumbled on the sideline in week nine against LA, he was the one who went over, lift, lifted Dontavian Wicks's head up, said, you know, look me in the eyes and talk to him. And even Brian Gutekunst in his press conference acknowledged that Aaron Jones is the heart and soul of this team, of the locker room. Sure, he missed eight games, but when he was out there, he was by far their best offensive player. He was the difference maker for this football team. It's Aaron Jones all the freaking way. All right. That brings me to my last award. My final award for this episode the 2023 Green Bay Packers MVP, the PMVP, as I called it in my, you know, 2023 awards predictions episode. My prediction going in was Christian Watson. And I thought Christian Watson would be the difference maker for this team, the reason they had offensive success. Well, well, he, he's, he's not the one who I gave it to. I gave it to somebody who, when everything was sucking on offense, wasn't doing a whole lot to bring them out of it, but nobody really was. But as soon as week nine hit, you saw this player start to rise. And by the end of that season, this player was putting the freaking team on their back. And especially through some of their wins, the Lions win, the Chiefs win, even some of the losses, the Giants loss, the Cowboys lost. He was the person who was forced to carry this offense, which was not the plan going in. And he did it. And that guy, in case you couldn't catch on, 
is Jordan Love. Jordan freaking Love. For half the season, right, when everything and everyone sucked on offense, Jordan certainly wasn't doing a bunch to help. To be fair, he wasn't doing that much to hurt them either. He definitely wasn't tanking the entire operation. The entire operation was kind of tanking itself. But with the way that the offense was working at that point, playing decent football was about the best anyone was playing. Then Jordan started to look better. Week 9, things started to go better around him, and he looked a lot better. Week 10 against the Chiefs, or not the Chiefs, against the Steelers, they lost. But things, again, started to look better. And then, from week 11 on, from the Chargers game to week 18 against the Chicago Bears, Jordan Love, his last eight games, he went 70.2% completion percentage, 2,150 yards, 18 touchdowns, one interception, a 112.75 passer rating. You extrapolate that over an entire season, over, let's just say, 16 games, 70.2 completion percentage. 4,300 yards, 36 touchdowns, two interceptions, and a 112.75 passer rating. That is an MVP caliber season, and pretty clearly shows how phenomenal Jordan was in the last 18 weeks. Not 18 weeks, in the last eight weeks. In fact, I think there's a pretty strong argument to be made that he was probably the best quarterback in the NFL in the last eight weeks, and What made him the MVP for the Green Bay Packers? He pretty much carried the offense for a lot of those eight weeks. Week 11 against the Chargers, the Packers' leading rusher was Jaden Reed. Jaden Reed had 46 yards in that game, and a lot of those yards came on one play, a 30-plus yard rushing touchdown. The next leading rusher was A.J. Dillon with 29 yards. Packers still put up 23 points, won that football game. Week 12, at Detroit. Maybe Jordan Love's, or one of Jordan Love's most impressive performances of the year. Leading rusher for the team, A.J. Dillon, with 43 yards. Jordan Love was second as the leading rusher with 39 yards. Packers still put up 29 points on Jordan Love's back. Week 13 against the Chiefs, A.J. Dillon had 79 rushing yards, and the Packers were able to put up 27 points. Week 14 against the Giants at New York, Leading rusher was A.J. Dillon with 53 yards. Packers put up 22 points. And then week 15 versus Tampa, their leading rusher was Aaron Jones, 53 yards. Packers put up 20 points. The offense wasn't incredible from week 11 to week 15. Five weeks of of not the most impressive offensive football you've ever seen. But they averaged 24.1 points per game over those five weeks without a running game to speak of. If you extrapolate those points per game over an entire season, that would make them the seventh best offense in the league by points per game. That is crazy. Over five weeks where Jordan Love had not a a running game to speak of at all, they averaged 24.1 points per game, the seventh best points per game total in the NFL this season. He brought his play. How did they do that? He brought his play up to the next level. Pre-snap. He was absolutely dialed in. He got Green Bay into the appropriate looks on seemingly every single play. During the play, everything was sped up for him. He was much faster. He was playing far freer. He was more decisive. And his accuracy really stepped up a notch. Against Detroit, he had some massive throws. Some some throws where he said, hey, get in the backpack. I'm putting you on my back. There was one play, an incredible cross-body throw to Malik Heath for... 
I don't know, 18 yards or so that set up a, a second and three situation. He had a sidearm sling to Jaden Reed for a first down, had a beautiful floater to Christian Watson for a touchdown against Kansas City. His second touchdown throw to Christian Watson was one of his best of the season. Perfect ball placement. Christian Watson goes up, skies the defender. You go to the New York game. He struggled a little bit. The entire offense did, though, too. And he made two gorgeous back-to-back -back throws to go ahead. The first one was dropped by Malik Heath. Jordan stumbled a little bit, reset the pocket, sidearm sling to Malik Heath, or dropped it. But the second one, he went right back to Malik Heath. Gorgeous throw where only Malik could, could get it, and Malik punched it in. You go to the Tampa game, he had, I mean, there's the obvious incredible play, third and 14, where Jordan extends, scrambles, and slings probably his best throw of the season into Jaden's arms on the sideline for a toe tap, toe tap touchdown, but there were a bunch of other ridiculously impressive throws in that game where he's fading away, makes a sidearm throw, first down. He, along with his receivers, but for the most part, he was the entire offense through those five weeks where they averaged 24.1 points per game, and... As a part of those five weeks, they put up 27 points against the Kansas City Chiefs, who, with the 49ers only being able to put up 22 in this game, only allowed over 24 points to a team once this season. The Kansas City Chiefs only allowed 24 points, over 24 points, to a team once this season. And that was to the Green Bay Packers in Week 13. The Packers beat the Super Bowl champions and put up the most points on them that any team has done all of this season. That is crazy. And you want more proof of concept? As soon as the Green Bay Packers gave him a running game, the offense proceeded to put up 33 points, then 33 points, and then 17 points to close out the season. But they never punted at all in that game. And then if you go to the playoffs, they put up, what, 48 against Dallas? And they put up still 20, 20, ooh, 22, 20 against San Francisco? Maybe it was 21. Let's double check that real quick. The Packers put up, they put up 21. They put up 21 points against San Francisco. So 21, 48, 17, 33, and 33, as soon as the Packers gave Jordan Love a running game. In the last three games of the season where Jordan Love had that running game, the offense punted a total of six times in 27 drives. They averaged 27.7 points per game over those last three weeks. That average points per game, I'm pretty sure, goes up if you include the 21 points against the the Niners and the 48 points against the Cowboys. Jordan, in those last three weeks and in the playoffs, when he had that running game, wasn't forced to elevate the offense at every single during every single play. At times, he was asked to elevate them, and when he was asked to do so, he did, and he delivered against Carolina. Third down, extends the play, flips a, a pass that only he can to Bo Melton. Beautiful sidearm dart, first down. They proceeded to go on to score a touchdown on that drive where he extends the play, flicks, flips a beautiful ball to Wicks in the end zone on an out-of-structure play for a touchdown. In Minnesota, with pressure in his face, he fades away, hits a beautiful ball to Bo Melton against Chicago. He rolls right, finds Jaden Reed on the sideline. This play wasn't, the, Jaden Reed wasn't even supposed to be part of the progression on this play, but Jordan elevated the team, rolled to his left, saw Jaden open, beautiful sidearm dart, Jaden takes it down the field, 50 plus yard gain. Against Dallas, he had a couple of incredible plays, the biggest to me will always be that Wicks touchdown, he identifies cover zero, puts Wicks on the right route, fades away from pressure, and throws the perfect ball to Wicks, the, imper the perfect encapsulation of what Jordan Love brings you. 
Matt didn't have the perfect play call there. He probably had some other play call, not expecting zero. Jordan Love saw zero. First part of, of his growth, his pre-snap progression. He saw zero. Was the, what, what was he able to do from that? Change what the offense was doing, settle protection a little bit, and say, hey, Wicks, maybe you go run this post route. And then, from there, Jordan's next part of his growth, during the play. He sees pressure in his face. He says, okay, doesn't panic, fades away a little bit, and then shows off his arm talent with a beautiful sidearm ball to Wicks for a touchdown. Jordan Love was the offense. He is the dude. For, the, for half of, of the final stretch, he put the entire team on his back every single game on every single play. When the offense took off, it was because he could put the offense on his back on some plays, and then on other, on, on other plays, he could say, hey, Aaron Jones, maybe you put the offense on your back. Or hey, Matt LaFleur, maybe you put the offense on your back. Some plays they rode Aaron Jones, some plays, some plays they rode Matt LaFleur's play calling, and others. Jordan said, all right, it's my turn. Let me carry the load. And my God, did he ever carry the load. I love Jordan Love so much. This Super Bowl only makes me hungrier for the Packers to win a Super Bowl and for me to be able to, to stand there and watch Jordan Love in freaking, I think the Super Bowl's in New Orleans next year, in New Orleans with the Super Bowl trophy hoisted above his head. That's all I want to see, and I think the Packers will get there. Jordan Love was the MVP for the Green Bay Packers this season. He's probably going to be the MVP for them going forward, and so I might have to come up with a new MVP for them next year just so I don't say Jordan Love every single time and it gets boring, but for now, Jordan Love is the freaking MVP for the Green Bay Packers. What a freaking season. Awesome year for the Green Bay Packers. So, recap my Packers awards. Comeback player of the year, Zach Tom. Defensive Rookie of the Year, Carl Brooks. Offensive Rookie of the Year, Tucker Craft. Defensive Player of the Year, Preston Smith. Offensive Player of the Year, Aaron Jones. And then MVP, or PMVP, Packers MVP, Jordan Love. That's what I have for you. I will be back on Wednesday. We'll see what comes out on Wednesday. Maybe we get some news. Maybe I lay out the offseason. Maybe we talk about the biggest positional needs. Either way, I'll be back on Wednesday. But until then, and. As I always say, even with the Chiefs winning the Super Bowl and, and Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift riding off happily into the sunset, there is a team that deserves your attention more than ever. And there's something I'd, I'd like to say about that team, and it's what we always end the episode with. So let's do it again. Go Pack Go!